You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. And welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. This is episode three of season three, and we are very excited to bring back Elena from episode one of season one. That's right. The very first episode and more on what Elena has to say later when yeah. we talk to Elena. <laughs> Before uh, <laughs> we bring her back, we wanted to share our hashtag tip of the week, which is also our joint contemporary contemporary. Yes. Contemporary preoccupation. preoccupation. Yeah, so kind of a hybrid <laughs> presentation today. We are really into roasted broccoli lately. Yeah. And about four times a week with whatever we're having for dinner that particular evening, Just we are roasting some a broccoli, pan of broccoli into the oven at 450. And it's salt so and pepper, good. oil. It's done very quickly, like 15 to 20 minutes. So coconut oil or olive oil, a little bit of salt and pepper. That's all you need. That's all you need. I haven't been getting fancy with it. And it goes with literally almost every meal. And our 18-month-old loves it. So it's a win-win-win in the words of Michael Scott. And broccoli is so healthy for you. It's just so satisfying to eat. I learned so many things about broccoli from this great podcast called Surprisingly Awesome. It's hosted, I think, by Gimlet Media. I think so. That sounds right. And it's, uh, it's about how all these ordinary things in our lives are actually surprisingly awesome, hence the name of the podcast. So, like mold? Right, like mold. Yeah, the episode on mold was actually fascinating. And the episode on broccoli, also fascinating. Did you know, for example, that broccoli and kale and Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts and cabbage are all the same plant? They can all actually interbreed. Inter, I don't know if that's the right word for plants. <laughs> I don't know. They, but basically, you can hybridize all of those because they're the same plant. Wow. That's why they're all so good for you. Right. They're all amazing. So, so yeah, if you like broccoli, try roasting it. I don't know why we weren't doing this before, but it's even more amazing than steaming it. Yes. And if you like finding out about things that are surprisingly awesome, listen to the podcast. The podcast is hosted by Adam uh, Davidson and Adam McKay. And Adam McKay is also the director and co-writer of the 2015 hit film The Big Short. Which means he was also a recent Oscar winner. That's right. He won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay with his co-writer for the movie. Which I can tell why he won. I mean, we watched it a couple weekends ago with my family. And I don't know. It was just like the pacing of it was really good. The dialogue was really good. Sometimes we had to rewind and watch the dialogue, listen to the dialogue over again. Because it was people pretty, were talking. Well, and it was pretty <laughs> fast-paced. But yes, people were talking. Um, but uh, then, star-studded cast too. Yeah. Uh, Steve Carell has a great character that he plays. Christian Bradley Bale Cooper, is Christian phenomenal. Bale, Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's it's an impressive lineup. We really enjoyed it and understand why he won the Oscar for it. They also did this really unique thing in the storytelling where they broke the fourth wall a lot, and the character would turn to the camera and tell you whether or not that scene actually happened in real life. Yeah, it was really cool. Very unique way of telling the story. It really captured your attention. So, I mean, slight caveat, language, yes, um, a couple strip club scenes, but otherwise— Just fast forward through those really and good. you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Adam McKay won the Oscar for that. This is a fellow podcaster. So one of our own won an Oscar, if you think about it that yeah, way. Yeah, so we're just kind of applauding ourselves as well. Right. 
So, uh, um, check out Surprisingly Awesome. for cur- current events update. Oh, yes. We have a very important current event for We haven't done current events today. in a while, but we felt like this was really something we needed to bring to your attention. If you don't already listen to NPR, then you probably haven't heard about this yet. But... Right. Very important. Uh, a An employee for the... Uh, for a British research, government research agency, an employee who has probably since been fired, thought it was a great idea to crowdsource the naming of a new British government polar research vessel. And to uh, probably everybody's chagrin and perhaps nobody's surprise, the results are absolutely terrible. terrible. As of today, March 30th, the leading candidate by far, by a very wide margin, for the naming of this new research ship is the Royal None other than the Royal Research Ship RRS Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> it sounds like something out of Jeeves and Wooster. It just it just it's just a complete joke. It is. It's insane. And that as of today has 107,000 votes. The runner up has 17,000. What is the runner up? So it's not close. The runner up is the RRS Poppy Mai if I'm pronouncing that correctly and this oh, is I right. believe uh, named after a young British girl who died from uh, an, in, an inoperable brain tumor at about 16 months Yeah, old. after finding out she had two days to live. Really sad. And yeah. she's obviously a better namesake for the ship than Bodie yes. McBoatface, but she's uh, way behind in the voting. Though I think Bodie McBoatface might be better than the Donald, Donald Trump, which oh. is also an option. That would <laughs> My be favorite terrible. is the royal research ship Usain Bolt. Uh, <laughs> and if you know anything about the world of sprinting, Usain Bolt is the fastest man in the world. Uh, the, the title commonly given to the fastest man in the 100-meter race. He's a very fast runner from Jamaica. So the RRS Usain Boat, I think, is the best uh, that would option be hilarious. here. Yeah, you should check it out. There's a lot of hol- other hilarious options. The Royal Research Ship, I like big boats and I cannot lie. <laughs> yes. So uh, several nice. several creative options here. Um, well, before we bring you, a link. Well, if you want to oh. look at the entries, uh, I'll just say go to nameourship.com. N-E-R-C dot A-C dot U-K. And you can look at all of the entries there and vote for something other than Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> Though at this point, I think Boaty McBoatface is just going to run away with it. <laughs> Probably. Unless... I wonder, do you think they'll actually go through with it? No, I think I heard something that they had issued a statement or something saying that they weren't married to whatever ranked number one. So they I mean, could what an still veto it. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. If I were the head of this agency, I would absolutely not name a ship that is, that is costing probably hundreds of millions of dollars. But then you're also admitting failure to the whole crowdsource naming thing. But I guess that's better. I think than, I'd rather yeah. admit failure to that <laughs> than name a ship the Bodie McBoat yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, before we bring Elena on, this we also— This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> We also have a special announcement. Um, Zach has redesigned our website. It's very mobile-friendly. It is a lot more streamlined and simple, clean, minimalist. We really like it. When you click on – when you go to the homepage, you go straight to the episodes page so you don't have to look around for what our latest episode is. Um, Zach also redesigned the logo, which looks phenomenal, I think. Thank you. So, yeah, check out our new website. Yeah, I mean, just like Sally said, it's redesigned. We tried to put the content front and center so that when you go to vernacularpodcast.com, you we see the list of episodes. You don't waste time reading about us. Right. So you just can see what You still saying. can do that. I mean, if you want to go to the about <laughs> page. <laughs> We've also updated our contributors page so it reflects all of our contributors now. Yep. Uh, actually, almost all. We oh, have, right. We have we another have announcement. In addition. Coming up. We'll, we'll announce him when he's up on our website. Okay, okay. Uh, but we have a new uh, contributor that we'll be talking about soon. <laughs> it's a voice that you will recognize. 
Um, but yes, that's, I think, our last announcement. And now let's talk to Elena. All right, welcome back to Vernacular. We're here with Elena, and Elena has actually joined us before. Elena was our very first guest. Very first guest in the very vernacular. first episode of the very first season. So season one, episode one. If you listen to that one, you heard Elena talk to us about many things, including living in Thailand for a couple of years where she was a missionary. So that was a pretty fun conversation. Go and back and check that out. did we talk about a band? We talked about music. Did we talk about Mumford, Mumford and Sons? Yeah, we did their talk about Mumford. That's album. right. Yeah, that or was new when then. Wilder Mind came out, I think. Yes, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Great we things. So that. if you want to hear that before listening to this or after, just go back, check out season one, episode one. But Elena, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks. Good to be back. So Elena actually reached out to us and uh, asked if she could come on to talk about vocation, which is something that is very much in line with the stuff we love to talk about at Vernacular. We are all about trying to help people live flourishing lives and figure out what it means to live a flourishing life. And part of this is finding your vocation. So I'll just kick it off with that very brief comment and we'll see where the conversation leads. Yeah, I was kind of, I think listening to a number of episodes of your podcast is really what got those juices kind of flowing in my mind. Yeah, I forgot because, to mention, uh, Elena is a dedicated listener of Vernacular. She's heard every episode. And I was joking with her before we started recording that we call our dedicated listeners Vernacular Nerds. So I love it. if you heard every episode, then you do. <laughs> Which is not actually true. I just thought of that now, but maybe we should start. I think it should stick, yeah. I think it's two against one, I guess. <laughs> Okay, Elena, I rudely interrupted you, there so could be please worse continue. Names. <laughs> well, you guys have just had such a variety of um, normal people who have really interesting jobs. You know, I was listening. Uh, even I was listening to an old episode with um, Caitlin and oh, what is Caitlin's husband's name? Will Darn Doctor Will. Will Doctor Will, who's a mathematician. <laughs> yes, he's and, been on a number of times. Right. And so you just have a lot of people with really interesting uh, occupations and um, and even just listening. And and from what I know of you two, I know that that's something that's on your minds a lot too. So the idea of what am I here for and what should I be doing and am I using my talents and my interests to the best of my abilities? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great topic because – especially because it can be confusing what vocation means. Even just thinking about this podcast and talking about it with Zach before we re started recording, I just suddenly became aware of how many different ways you could interpret what it means to have a vocation. Is that the same thing as the job that you choose to have? Is it the same thing as your job if you love your job or if you hate your job? Yeah, I just don't yeah, know. I mean, or if you're just like working – at Pizza Hut to try to pay way try to pay your way through school is that your vocation or is that just yeah. a stopping point on the way to your final destination which is your vocation yeah or if you can't find something you're really passionate about does that mean you don't have a vocation right <gasps> if you yeah exactly if you don't think that you have unique talents and passions that can contribute in a unique way does that mean that you don't have a vocation that doesn't make sense yeah because well, actually oh go, oh, ahead. go ahead Sally. no go for it oh well uh that just reminds me of uh, a funny story of when I first started at the job that I'm at right now, which I've only been at for about nine months, but I'm, I'm a, uh, my title is studio administrative coordinator and I work at an architectural firm. Um, and it's not 
it's not what I really pictured myself doing. It's very administrative. Um, there's also some management and some leadership in it. But when I first started, you know, I'm still earning the trust of my bosses and things like that. There was one day within my first month when I was given this big list. Um, it was just, it was a huge spreadsheet and I had to enter in a few hundred, a few hundred numbers. And so, you know, I, I, basically I, I, someone asked if I could do it and I was like, sure, I can do that. You know, no problem. And so I'm sitting there at this, at my computer typing in these numbers one after another. And I started off thinking, man, is this what, is this what they pay me for? Is this, (laughs) you know, is this, is this all I'm good for? Is this what my talents are for? But I just kept, you know, I was, I kept working on it and it took me about an hour to get through it. And by the end of that hour, I was like, you know what, if this is the task that I've got right now, I'm just going to do it to the absolute best of my ability. And if entering numbers into a spreadsheet is what they want me to do, then I'm going to be the best number enterer into spreadsheets in the entire office. (laughs) And I was talking to my roommate about it later. And she was, she mentioned the story of um, King David in the Bible, who started off as a shepherd. And, you know, David ultimately ends up a king. But when he was a kid, he was, he just had to take care of sheep. So my roommate referred to it, referred to those as my spreadsheets. So they were <laughs> basically the little tasks that you have to do, whether it's working at Pizza Hut while you work your way through college or, um, or other friends I have who are artists and have to have a work, you know, and they choose to work in coffee shops to pay the bills while they can work on their art in their own time. You know, sometimes those are the things that we do that might not be our vocation, but might be contributing to what our career or our vocation ultimately becomes. I like it, the spreadsheet. I have to say, though, I was hoping this story would end differently. Oh, really? Because you were saying that you were still trying to earn the trust of your bosses, et cetera, and this was one of your first jobs, and you worked in an architectural firm, and I was hoping that they were like dimensions, and you fat-fingered one of the entries, and they ended up <laughs> making the building like way longer than it needed to be or something like that. Uh, it's like I think my grandpa used to tell a story about a guy who was building a bridge, and after he was all done, the bridge collapsed, and the guy said, damn decimal point <laughs> that was yeah that's tricky. where i was hoping that was going no i'm <laughs> no, just kidding not, no that's not a, so tragic no I, I actually really appreciate you telling that story because that's exactly what i was thinking about and sally and i were talking about this stuff relating to vocation before we started recording and i've been thinking about how just like you said all those little things that build up to what might be your ultimate destination are still i think a part of your vocation definitely so the fact that you're not doing what you always thought you would be doing or the fact that you're not doing your dream job doesn't mean that you're not actually living your vocation now. That's the first point I would make about what I believe about what vocation is. Yeah, and I think it gets confusing. Go back to my confusion. Basically, I'm just confused this whole episode. But no, (laughs) I think I'm reaching some clarity. But I think my confusion began when you go to college or you, you are in high school or something and people tell you, that the way to determine your vocation or the thing that you want to do with your life, whether or not those are the same thing, is by looking at your passions, looking about looking at what you're excited about, what you like to do, and then looking at your talents and the skills that you have and seeing where they overlap. And and I am wondering if if that intersection is not actually what it means to have found your vocation. Right. I mean, I think that's absolutely true. And the th- the point I would make about that is that in general, I think people too often associate the word vocation with what we think of as really occupation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's too narrow of a, of a 
way to construe what vocation is because take, for example, the obligation of someone who uh, all of a sudden has to take care, take care of, of an ailing sibling who's you know, been in a tragic crash and lost most of their mobility and or ailing parent. Right, or ailing ailing parent, something like that. Taking care of that person might not be in line with your passions, right? I mean, you might not be really passionate, like a nurse or a doctor would be passionate about tending to the sick. But it's it's something that you're uh that you now find yourself in a position to do. You you you're probably uniquely positioned to do that. And really you have a duty to do it because they're in your family. So I think doing something like that can also be a part of your vocation even if it's separate from what we would consider your occupation. Yeah, yeah and then- I would totally agree with that. And I think that's why I feel I feel really drawn to people like Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs fame um, or other people who, who are really okay with doing grunt work because sometimes the, um, the passion that you put into the work that's placed in front of you is more important than the passion that you have for the work or the commitment or the work ethic that you have um, with whatever task is is put in your charge, uh, that speaks more about your character and where you're going and the purpose of your life than necessarily the nature of what you're doing. Yeah, I like the way you put that. And I think kind of tying in vernacular's mission, which is to consider and investigate what it means to find human flourishing. When you try to figure out what human flourishing is, you don't look at every individual point of your life. You look at your entire life. So it's a very broad, expansive look. Um, Similarly, vocation, I think if you just are trying to pinpoint or take like a slice of people's lives, you're going to have a hard time figuring out what their vocation is. Or mm-hmm. And they're going to have a hard time. I mean, I'm going to yeah. have a hard time figuring it out if I just look at, you know, the year. At I'm what in. you did today. Right, right. Right. Well, or even just at myself, you know, I think that like you were saying, Sally, everybody says, well, you figure out what your passions are and what your talents are. And they keep telling, you know, all over the place, they're telling kids to chase your heart and and all these things. But um, I think that there's a postmodern philosopher, Charles Taylor, who wrote a book called The Ethics of Authenticity. And he talked about how when your authenticity is just grounded in in yourself, it becomes a self-defeating thing because um, the more you try to find yourself in yourself, the more you get lost and confused because you have to be grounded in something. So you have to look to something outside of yourself, whether it's you know a purpose for serving humanity or your faith in God or um, or you know whether it's serving your family, um, like someone who is a caretaker, something like that. You have to look beyond just yourself in order to find, uh, in order to be grounded, as you find that sense of um, vocation and what I'm supposed to be doing and who I'm supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to Sally's point because I've been thinking about this since she said it. But the idea of looking at someone's vocation as sort of the arc of their life rather than a cross section of it. I think that goes to my point earlier about how we look at vocation too narrowly when we focus on it as occupation because mm-hmm. I made the point about taking care of an ailing family member being part of your vocation. But the broader point is it's only a part of your vocation because your occupation, I think, also should be a part of your vocation. Whether or not it's your dream job. Right. So Sally and I know someone uh, who uh, has been asked the question, like, what do you do? And this person is a loving father and husband and he's said – uh, oh, I am a father and a husband, expecting the person to be like, oh, I actually mean, what do you do for a living? And the whole point is 
in in his mind, and it's I think a worthy aim. He's pointing out that his priority lies his with priority, his family. Exactly, his priority is with his family. But I think what I would say is that you know what I do, my vocation is this. I'm a you know I'm a a husband and a father, and this is my profession. This is what I do for my occupation, and all of that holistically is my vocation because I'm trying to live a life of purpose, and I see my life fitting inside a, a larger narrative or a larger story, as you said, Elena. Yeah, and I think that when you can see when you can see that sense of purpose in all of the things that you do, like you said, Sally, in this overarching um, or the arc of your of your life. Um, then you can see how all of these, all these small things point to that purpose, um, whether it's the job that you hate or, you know, cause it's, cause even for the guy who says, oh, I'm a husband and a father, he's not just a husband and a father. He's, he's a friend, he's a son, uh, he's a brother, he's a, a boss or an employee and all of those things contribute, um, which probably makes this idea of vocation even more vague and confusing. Yeah, I know but, it is really hard to pin down. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I, you have to, I think you have to recognize that in order to, um, probably in order to make, even make peace with the idea, because there'll be plenty of people who don't really feel like they figure out what their vocation is maybe over the course of their entire life. Maybe there are some people like that, but when you can see these smaller things and these smaller or these and the bigger purpose that exists in that, I think that that can give us a sense of peace as we reconcile or wrestle with this. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of our conversation with Emily. Oh, in, I was just about to say that. Oh, in season two, she episode was talking nine, about if her you want to go book. back and listen to that. Yeah, a fantastic episode. I think it was our last one of the season or second to last. Um, but she was talking about the book that she is writing and that it's coming out about what it means to have a meaningful life. And there's different ways that you find meaning in your life, according to her. And one of them is by looking at your life as part of some sort of larger story or narrative or finding some sort of connection with the transcendent. Um, those are just two of two of the examples. And you can have multiple pillars in your life. They can kind of overlap and you can find meaning and purpose through more than one way. But yeah, this just reminds me of, of that conversation and how I think vocation has a lot to do with finding meaning in your life. And it's possible that you do get your dream job. You know, you're out of college, you get the most amazing job that you always dreamed of. It's a perfect intersection of your passions and talents. And you still find it kind of lacking and unfulfilling. And I think if that's the case, then it might be because you have a distorted view of what it means to have found your calling. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, even the whole notion of vocation implies some sort of understanding of the transcendent because etymologically speaking, the root of vocation is the Latin vocare. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. My friend, I have a friend named Kevin who listens to this podcast and he's an expert on the classics and he'll probably correct my pronunciation next time I see him. So Kevin can write into us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Kevin, if you're <laughs> listening to this, let us know how to pronounce vocare. But uh, it's the Latin root of vocation and it basically means to call. So, I mean, it's the Latin, the Latin um, vox meaning voice. So Vocation is something to which you are called, um, just as an avocation or a hobby is something to which you're not called. You just do for enjoyment. So the whole idea of vocation being something you're called to implies some sort of understanding of the transcendent, that there is something or someone that calls you to be a part of this larger story or narrative that we're talking about. Yeah, um, and that reminds me of something that Elena mentioned to us before we started 
uh, recording, which is um, Johnny Cash and the fact that he had this interview back in, I think, the 90s, and he was talking about how he had kind of gone through some rough parts of his life, and he wasn't always loving the songs that he was singing, and he was just he was just kind of doing it to keep himself off the sofa. <laughs> and um, I think Zach has that clip to share with us now. I do, yeah. Let's uh, Let's listen to that. Do you really need to tour so much? Do you need to work so hard and drive yourself so hard? For my soul, I do. Yeah, for my soul. It's a gift. My mother always told me that any talent is a gift of God, and I always believed that if I quit, I would just live in front of the television and get fat and die pretty soon. So I don't want to do that. You know, I just hope and pray I can die with my boots on. I've been in hospital beds, and I don't want to end it up there. I went through a period that I didn't want to sing those old songs again. I finally decided that I was really cheating them and myself. And uh, I started singing all the old ones with gusto and lust, like I loved them. Those songs, I walked the line, Folsom, Sunday morning coming down, Ring of Fire, they're part of me. They're an extension of me when I get in front of that microphone. Here's part of me going to that mic, you know, to that audience. And they feel it, and they know it if I feel it. And they'll turn it right back to me, the appreciation. That's what it's all about. That's what performing is all about, is sharing and communicating. Yeah, I, I love that. I stumbled upon that when I was, I was looking through a couple of websites about the relationship between faith and work and culture. And I thought it was really cool that that happened to pop up. And um, yeah, and there are so many other awesome things about Johnny Cash. I mean, he he dealt with a tremendous amount of pain because uh, he broke his jaw um, or he was having some dental work done and his jaw was broken while that happened. And basically he lived for a number of years with chronic pain. And the only time that he didn't, that he wasn't, suffering this like level eight out of 10 pain was when he was singing. And he said that was just the power of, that was the power of, of music in his life. And that he prayed about that when, uh, before he went up on stage, that it wouldn't interfere with this thing that he was called to do. But, um, and I think that that goes to show that, um, not, not that work should be the thing that consumes us, but sometimes it can be the thing that, that really does fulfill us. Just like he said, he works because his soul needs it. Um, whatever, whatever your work may be, I think when you've, when you've found out what your, your calling or your vocation is, I think it is something that really does fulfill who we're, who we're meant to be as people. Yeah. I think my favorite part of the interview was, uh, at the very end where you said that's what performing is all about. It's sharing and communicating because for him, like you said, Elena, it was something that he needed to do for his soul. It wasn't about the glory. It wasn't about the lights. It wasn't about the glamour. It was about sharing and communicating. So it seems like he definitely understood himself as part of a larger story of humanity and his vocation as he understood it was to share what he and had. And I think, yeah, and you totally see that through even not even just what he did, but the way that he did it. I don't know what you guys know about Johnny Cash, but he sang in prisons all over the country. And some of his songs are can be pretty depressing if you really listen to the lyrics because he wrote them from the perspective of a guy who's stuck in prison. But he brought so much joy and hope to those men and really ministered to them in a way that even, you know, he talks a little bit later in that clip about whether or not he could have been a preacher, or I I guess that was included. But uh, so he he talks about whether or not 
um, he was called to be a preacher and he said, no, but he brought so much hope and joy to those people. And I, I read a story, um, Tom Petty did some recording with, with Johnny Cash. Um, and at one point when they were supposed to be recording, John disappeared and he, he showed up again later and Tom Petty asked, well, where were you? He said, oh, June and I thought it would be fun to just sit on that bench across the street for a while. I just, I met the most interesting people over there. And <laughs> so Tom Petty was real, re remarking that Johnny Cash was friends with presidents and he chose to be friends with people at the bus stop. So it's That's awesome. Yeah. That's really and that awesome. sense of humanity, like you said, it's this, this is, this is the arc of his life. It's that he wanted to connect with people in a really deep and personal way. So I feel like I have to say this though, with Johnny Cash, it's pretty obvious because he has this incredible talent. And so for him, what he does with his life is very obvious. But for those of us who uh, don't have once in a gener generation type of musical talent, you know, how do we find where our vocation lies. Yeah, I mean, maybe you have a few different talents, you're equally good at them, or you don't have anything that really strikes you as being the thing that you should do. And I, I mean, I feel like that in many ways throughout my life, I've always been like, well, I feel like I could do so many different things because I'm interested in them, but nothing is really, I don't feel like I have this strong leaning towards any of them or this strong talent that's going to push me in that direction and help me to succeed. So now I'm a stay-at-home mom and I find that very fulfilling, though the I best don't mom ever. feel like whatever talents <laughs> I have are necessarily being put to use on a regular basis, but I don't that doesn't for me personally that doesn't that that doesn't leave me feeling unfulfilled. I have found some ways to use some talents that I possibly have. But the fact that they're not being put to the greatest use doesn't bother me. Right. I think that's in part because I've kind of come to find a certain piece about seeing my life in a larger framework than just than just this this particular moment in time. Well, and I think you also realize, oh, there are things that I I have I probably there's some passions that I probably haven't even been introduced to yet. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a good point. So for me, in the last couple of years, I've gotten really excited about financial coaching, which is nothing, nothing like anything that I ever thought that I would have a passion for. You know, I, I used to kind of see money as a necessary evil, but, um, after, I mean, if you, you know, if you listen to this podcast before about, um, I lived in a slum in Bangkok, Thailand, and I saw how, unless you really have the, the wisdom and, uh, the care to take uh, to to be intentional with your money, it can own you. And I I met too many people who were burdened by that. I became more interested in the financial world because I realized that this is something. This is a need that people have. People don't have an understanding of this. Um, and so, but I never would have thought that I would be interested in that. You know, five or ten years ago. Yeah. So, and you know, you might you might bump into something. You know, when Esther is. 18 and going off to college that you never thought that you would want to do. So I think when you realize that there's so much more, that there's so many ways that this story could unfold, then you can be content with, with the vocation that you have right now too. Yeah. You know, if you go on our website, uh, vernacularpodcast.com, which we just redesigned by the way, but if you go on there and click the about section, uh, there's this comment where it basically says, you know, Zach works in a cubicle and <laughs> it's sort of tongue in cheek, but the reality is that I'm not in my dream job right now. And the other reality is that is that that's totally okay because I'm young. I don't expect to be in my dream job right now. It would be 
it'd be uh, kind of too good to be true if I was. But the uh, the job that I'm in right now, I think, is important. It's important for me to learn what I'm doing, learn the skill sets that I am. But more than that, there's so many things to do outside of you know sitting at my desk in my cubicle doing my job. There's so many opportunities to volunteer and help my friends and neighbors around me. There's a lot of time that I could be home with my family doing that part of my vocation that I really love more than anything. Or starting a podcast. Or starting a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are opportunities to do other things, even if you're not in the most fulfilling job ever. And it actually was the the podcast uh, from season two, episode nine, when you guys were talking about meaning, that got me excited about some things that I, I don't think I gave enough credit to um, it, that I was, that I enjoyed, but hadn't really invested in. So I, I love music and, um, I love craftsmanship. And so I was, as I was listening to that podcast, uh, talking about how meaning really gives us a sense of fulfillment and, um, and purpose in our lives. Um, you know, I realized, oh, I can be, in, I can be really investing in these skills and interests that I have, and I don't know what's going to happen with them. Maybe they will be avocations uh, instead of vocations, but it's still worth it to put the time in and see what happens maybe. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think this kind of says that vocation isn't necessarily something that you just suddenly discover or just like hits you over the head or you have this like St. Paul moment where, you know, God speaks to you, but it might just be something that that you find along another path that you're on and you're just kind of walking down it faithfully doing the job that you have before you and 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 you just kind of slowly discover it. Yeah, definitely. And but I think it's still the the faithfulness like you said Sally, you're walking down this path that God's given you and you are being faithful with whatever task it is you have now. Learning how to be faithful like that is probably the thing that determines how you'll succeed with things with with whatever else you end up doing because I was talking with a mentor of mine earlier this week and she was saying entrepreneurship and self-employment are two totally different things entrepreneurship is about having a sense of ownership of whatever it is you're doing so maybe you are the underling or maybe you do work in the cubicle but having that the entrepreneurial spirit means that you really take ownership of it and you commit your best to it and that can kind of transform what we do and I think without that even if you even if you have some great skill um unless you really uh embrace that and are willing to commit the time and the energy to um to do it, even when it's boring cuz just like in a marriage you know you fall in love but you're going to have boring days too. You have to commit when it's boring too in order to break through and maybe turn that into a vocation. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you go back to Zach's point Sally, have we ever before. had a boring day in our marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that brings us back to Zach's point that you made at the beginning, which is that even those hard times, those kind of moments where it doesn't seem like you are where you want to be, that is too could be a part of your vocation. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was Googling, um, different tips about people who are self-employed because that's something that I would love to do someday. And they were talking about how you have to really have a passion for the process, not just a passion for the result. Uh, I think that I, I often get sidetracked because I'll have, I'll get excited about something, but then you get into the nitty gritty of it and it's a little frustrating. You get excited about the next thing. This is totally the story of my life, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys are two peas in a pod. <laughs> yeah, but 
it was saying, you know, if you if you really want to get if you want to succeed at something, you've got to become passionate about the process. And this article is saying if you want to get in shape, you can't just be passionate about losing 20 pounds. You have to be passionate about eating healthy and exercising. And if you want to become uh, if you want to become good at something, you have to, it says fall in love with boredom, fall in love with repetition and practice, fall in love with the process of what you do and let the results take care of themselves. So I just have the utmost respect for people who, you know, whether it's spending three hours practicing whatever it is that you, uh, you know, you have some talent in, um, I, just the people who can kind of hunker down and commit the time and, and follow through and until they finally reach a breakthrough. I, I love that. Yeah, that is great. I really like that thought too. And it's making me think, what processes am I passionate about? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't and then, know. So talking about that and what it means to discern your vocation, it doesn't it doesn't really make it a whole lot clearer because yeah, you're gonna run into those times when you're not really sure. You think, Oh, I got I was so excited about this at the beginning, but now I just don't know where it's going. And so I think it can be it can be really tricky figuring out what your vocation is. Um, and I wish I had an answer to how to how to really discern your vocation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? As far as here, turn the question back on you guys. But what do you think about what it really means to figure out what your vocation is and what's the process of that? I mean, I think the process looks different for everyone. We already talked about someone like Johnny Cash who had a pretty easy process and that, like I said, you know, a once in a generation talent that's pretty clear. He needs to be on the stage singing and playing guitar. For other people like myself <laughs> uh, who don't have that talent, it's not as evident at all. But I think, I mean, I'm less of a, I'm less of a fan of this sort of paralysis by analysis approach that you really need to just figure out your vocation right now. Because you don't want to waste time. Right, exactly. No, I think that People would be much better served if they were more bold and just taking a first step, even if it was a job that they didn't think they'd find themselves in or isn't in line with their passions and talents and just see where it leads because I think we never know what the doors we're stepping through will lead us to. And Elena, it seemed like you were kind of getting at that when you were saying you weren't expecting to be in your uh, current position now, but I'm sure you're learning things there that you never thought you would learn. And just from the conversation we've had, it sounds like you're thinking about things that you hadn't thought about before. And maybe the thing you're doing now has in part led you to that. Yeah. And I think while you're doing that job, whatever that might be, all the while cultivating your other passions and interests as hobbies and using your leisure time to to kind of round out your whole experience of life, which would be a perfect segue to talking about Joseph Pieper's book, Leisure, if mm. I had read it. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. It's a great book. I've and read I part of it. I think the point is that we as Americans have taken leisure to mean this wasted time where we just relax all the time, when actually it's supposed to be this time of cultivating your non-occupational skills and talents and interests. I think it's something like that. So Yeah, in part, I think. Yeah. So we'll just insert really profound thought by Joseph Cooper <laughs> and we'll move on. Well, I think it also has to do with just the fact that uh, our culture is so obsessed with work that we've forgotten about the basis of leisure at all yeah. and, and the role that it plays in human Oh, yeah. Flourishing. I think leisure is the basis of culture, I right. think. Yeah, leisure is the, the basis idea. of culture is the That's name of the book, the name of the book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just should have so. said that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's okay, a separate so conversation. We speaking can have. of that and hearkening back to another previous podcast episode that I was listening to this morning, 
You talked about the light phone. Do you remember that, Zach? That was like a year ago. The light phone. Yeah, the it was so phone. small. So it's a tiny phone. Oh, about yeah, yeah, size yeah, of yeah, yeah. a card, and it forwards from your smartphone so that you can yes. take this thing that only functions as a phone. Yeah, so I got really excited about that when I heard about that. Um, Is it still going? I haven't even heard about it. It since launches then. in June. Oh, are you well, going to get yeah. one? I mean, I have That's one right. right now because my phone has many aspects of it that is doesn't really work at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Plus I took off a lot of notifications, so that helps. Sally's right. phone had a unfortunate had an unfortunate meeting with concrete. Concrete. <laughs> and water previously. Water previously. Right. <laughs> yes. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So between that and and taking off notifications, I feel like I I have a light phone. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we could keep talking about this for forever, but maybe we should wrap up. <laughs> I don't think we're going to solve everyone's yeah, vocation. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so no, either. I think we should stick with this until Zach and I figure out what our vocation is. Yes, yeah. yes. I <laughs> think I will say us. that, you know, we, we may get sound easy in the last – in the conversation we've had for the past five minutes talking about how to find your vocation. But really where it gets hard is uh, putting the words into actions because it's a lot harder to come home every day from a job that you don't love and being really optimistic about that and finding fulfillment and satisfaction in that. So I think that's the hard part. Yeah. Well, like Elena was saying, loving the process even when you don't know where it leads. Right. And I think there's no easy way to do that. It's not a – you know, there's no easy cure-all, take this medicine, and then you'll love your job. I think it's just a lot of hard work and positive thinking Yeah. and all of that. So Finding avenues of fulfillment outside of that job. Right, right. And finding the positives in the job. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because most jobs have some positives. Yeah, yeah. even if there are lessons have that you learn in the negative, like how not to be a boss or how not to do right. something. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think just looking at even the negatives as learning opportunities. Is... Insert the office reference. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, I'm pretty sure we've all had a Michael Scott boss at some point in our lives. And if you haven't had one yet, you probably will in the future. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> The, the characters in that show are just so well created because they're extreme caricatures, but everyone can think of people who have reflections of each of the office characters in them. So, Well, but even just think of Jim's story, not to drag his conversation out, but, you know, he starts off as this, you know, pretty much a kid in the office who's barely doing what it takes to even get by. And at the end, he finally, spoiler alert, he finally really finds his dream job after, <gasps> and he just really has to work at it. But <laughs> over the course of nine seasons... You see, you kind of watch Jim's vocation develop too. Big tuna. <laughs> Big tuna. Yep. Hey, well, Elena, thanks so much for coming on. It was fun to talk to you about vocation. Uh, maybe yeah, we can continue being... this conversation at a later date because there's yeah, a lot we'll more to, to say. Follow up sometime and uh, see if we've made any progress. We're <laughs> headed in our lives. <laughs> that sounds good. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day. All right, you too, guys. Bye. All right, we're back to wrap things up for episode three of season three. We wanted to remind you to rate us and or review us on iTunes. Yes, please. It helps us a lot to gain visibility and give us feedback. So be honest in your reviews. Yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter at VernacularPod. Or Facebook, facebook.com slash vernacularpodcast. And you can email us at Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. And when you do that, when you email us, you should give us feedback on the episode, but you could also answer either or both of our editorial questions of the week. That's right. First, we are looking at moving to a weekly format for the podcast, which is which was our original model when we first started in season one. 
Uh, this would mean probably shorter episodes between 30 and 45 minutes, but probably more regular one publishing. one guest, maybe two every guests, week. but in general, probably one. Right. Uh, or do you like the longer episode format released every two weeks? Let With us know guests. so we can plan for the future. Second question, what do you have to add to our conversation about vocation with Elena? Yeah. Do you think that there is such a thing as vocation? Have you found yours yet? How did you find it? There's so much more to be said on this conversation, and we, we really want our not, listeners to be yeah. part of the conversation. So if you want to add, just chime in with an email or a tweet. You can also call us. I don't think Sally mentioned that. 719-357-9221. Oh, Leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you think. If you want to come on the podcast and, and share your thoughts, we'd love to host you. So please let us know that. We also well. wanted to just um, ha- put out a little plug for one of our contributors' new podcasts, Joshua. He um, has started a new podcast called The Ultimate Doctor. Yes, and I've listened to it. It's very, very exciting, very interesting. He talks to some fascinating guests who are doing uh, really neat things in medicine. They're all doctors, right? Uh, they're all people who work in the medical, uh, field. the medical field in some capacity. Okay. Uh, so we've got so, yes. a few episodes out now, but – just churning them out quickly. Yep. So. His podcast is called, like Sally mentioned, The Ultimate Doctor. You can find that in your iTunes directory or your podcast directory if you don't have uh, iTunes or an iPhone. And you can also find it on Facebook at facebook.com slash the ultimate doctor. So a big shout out to Joshua. It sounds good, man. Keep it up. Yeah, congratulations. Look forward to hearing more about it when we have you back on the show. All right. Well, that wraps us up. We will see you next week for episode four. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week.